Hey guys, hope you liked the episode. Uh, we just wanted to let you know that we appreciate your support and you can support us even more by liking our Facebook page, following us on Instagram, uh, sharing us to all of your friends and making sure they know that they could find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We would appreciate if y'all rate us and review us on those platforms. And if you want to be a guest on our show or if you want a specific topic to be talked about on our show, feel free to email us on theafterchurchpodcast at gmail.com. Brothers and sisters, we like to welcome you to Keep that going, man. Keep that going. All right. All right, boys and girls. We are back. This is Josh and Drew. What up? So uh, there, are, there are very few things that I'm actually <laughs> proud of in my life. All right. And that is I've only been punched in the face once. And uh, who is this person that punched me in the face? Joshua Taylor. Welcome. Welcome to the After Church Podcast. Thank you, Josh. I'm also proud of... Having punched you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> what did I miss? This? Oh man! So this this <laughs> happened at like uh, we were going to a um, hyphen uh, seminar in Fort Worth, was it? Yeah, yeah, no, it wasn't long after uh, we we started off uh, helping carrying them lead the young adults. Yeah. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what what led up to the fist? Can you remind me? <laughs> yes. Uh, so it was late you at night. You want to relive it? Yes. <laughs> it was late at night, and uh, it wasn't it, late at night. It, yeah, it was after the it was after the uh, the service. Oh, well, okay. Late that afternoon, perhaps not too late at night, uh, but it was after the service, and um, I think I was uh, like talking to different people, and then you started doing this acting like a zombie thing or you so just, just messing around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You were just like, and you would come over to me and you're like standing <laughs> just behind my left shoulder and you would like lunge your face and like snap at mm-hmm. me. Like I, I try to make uh, you flinch. Yeah. yeah you're, yeah. you're trying to make me and, flinch. And yeah, you flinched <laughs> for yeah, sure. Yeah. At least you made him flinch. It wasn't <laughs> a reaction. Actually, it was planned to a degree. Uh, my thought was when he lunges, I'm going to like fake punch you know, kind of make me kind of kind of pull a punch, yeah, and then and make you flinch. But uh, you really lunged right into my fist. But the man. problem was, is <laughs> it was face to fist technique. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I didn't flinch. That was the problem. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And then you just felt. I think you like you drew blood. Yeah, bro. you fell backwards. Yeah, you were on the <laughs> ground and you were bleeding. I was apologizing. I remember uh, getting to church and being like, "Oh man," like apologizing uh, uh-huh. to your parents. 
<laughs> I do I'm not. sorry I damaged your son's face. I, I, Bishop, if you're listening, Revermore, I do not make a habit of beating the young adults. I say that, of course, I slapped Taylor the other day, but it, it, it was just, it was like a, it was a soft. Just air it, was, it all it out, It was man. a very <laughs> soft, it was very, in case you're, Taylor's listening, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, no he, he, Josh is dangerous. Mm-mm. Like, uh, <laughs> me, me and Justin Balot had to go to this, uh, this thing when we were starting the group at UTSA, and it was anti-hazing. And then after the seminar, we were like, okay, we got to explain to Josh. We can't, we can't have hazing of new people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. So what's been going on, dude? Everything, everything. Mm. Lots of things. Um, you know, the situation with the baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, aside from that, work is going well. Uh, favor of God there. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, Joanna is a hot mess. She has got a, she's got a ton of energy, and uh, yeah, she takes up a lot of my time. But uh, <laughs> that's it's fun. Mm-hmm. And then uh, aside from that, I just finished a class. Thank goodness, because I am so tired of school. For all you young people out there, don't go to. I'm just kidding. Go to school. Uh, <laughs> Advice yeah, from the yeah, 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 podcast. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Don't go to school <laughs> yeah, and no. do do drugs. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> uh, school so, is lame. Yeah. Um, uh. But seriously, uh, I, I am ready to be done with school. Though I, I did drag it out a lot longer than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. I, I am, I'm, uh, yeah, ten years. So, <laughs> what did you bring with you, man? I brought my floaties in case we go to the deep end. Mm. So that is my Greek lexicon and my Bible, Ooh. as well as uh, <laughs> as well All as right. some guys. some cool, uh, some just some cool uh, um, uh, documents, you know, uh, scientific facts about the word or um, some cool things that I looked up a lo- long right. time back mm. about different uh, uh, branches of. Christianity. Well, I say branches of Christianity, but obviously, like it, denominations. Yeah, denomination, okay. right? Yeah, so not technically or uh, Christianity, but yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. All right, so where do we start? Do we do we ease in do or you, do we jump right in? Man, you can you can look. We can talk about anything. I know all the things I know. Okay, well, what do you know? <laughs> All the things I know. Like, the things I know, I know them. So, like, whatever you want to talk about. Literally anything. Well, we got to do a proper introduction first, by the way, before we okay. get too carried away. All right. All right. So this is Brother Josh Taylor joining the uh, show with us today, mm-hmm. college career director at First United yeah. Pentecostal Church, right? Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, is that oh, true? Uh, is that true? I, you sur- this, is pr- this is news to me. I'm just kidding. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I, I am. The, yes, yes. College career leader, uh, integrate, uh, ages 18 to 25, for CPC. Nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on the show with us. Yeah. My pleasure. I thought I did introduce you with the whole punch in the face thing. I don't know if that counts though. Like, hey, our guest punched me in the face. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> it doesn't just goes need to show. You've probably just, been punched in the face by him. Yeah. It just goes to show how good I am at turning the other cheek. Or Ooh. like how, how good at forgiveness I am. How many punches do you throw? <laughs> mm. uh, it, yeah. No, it was one. <laughs> just one. <laughs> There's other punches to other places that we won't talk about. 
I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that is. <laughs> and I'm actually confused about that one. But I'm sure there is something there. So, um, yeah. So I got a question for Josh. What's up? If you were a car, what kind of car would you be? Mm. Uh, mm. Mm. Okay. Well, would it let's make think. that sound? Well, I'm not. I'm not sporty. That yeah. mm. I'm, not, I'm not really sporty. I consider myself luxurious and classy. Um, I'm not expensive. I'm like. I'm like. So a Bentley. Uh, no, no. I, I'm, like, I'm like mid price. Like uh, you know the normal, normal dude can. Well, Ford I Fiesta. I was gonna say the normal dude can get me, but I don't. I don't want to say that. <laughs> what? Okay, whatever it is, I feel like it's got a lot of maintenance. But go ahead, <laughs> continue. I run out of gas pretty quickly. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess maintenance would be a little on the high side. I, I need the synthetic mm. oil, for sure. Mm. Um, I my f- I don't really have any filters. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I get it. There's uh, a lot of play here. <laughs> you're really well thought okay, out. Okay, so um, you know, I'm just gonna go with the old reliable, uh, you know, just like your pickup truck, Honda Civic. I was thinking. Oh, okay. Honda Civic. Okay. Yeah. You I know, old reliable. Um, you know, a Japanese. lot of people think a lot of people think that the <laughs> Honda Civic is their first car, but then they ended up they end up keeping it forever. So that's me. I'm the one that you think that I I'm just gonna you know lead you to something else, something better. But you realize that I'm the thing you want all along. Uh, wow. Uh, uh, <laughs> when I think of a Honda Civic, I think of I'm gonna drive this thing into the ground. Until it's, it's like, <laughs> coincidentally, that's what you essentially said earlier. Yeah, you were yeah. like, try to keep the ginger jokes to a five or less, please. Um, I'm not, man. I'm not here to put you down. Oh yeah. uh, no, I can take it, man. Oh, got gotcha. you. I can gotcha. take it. Very a little cool. tr- like tremble in your voice. I can take it. Yeah, take it. Josh was a little <laughs> upset earlier. I, 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 he was like, you're, you're not a true fan of the show. I've heard several of the podcasts, and I hadn't realized he was on the show at all. <laughs> <laughs> you're on the podcast? <laughs> like I, yeah, man. Oh, man. I'm just another white face. <laughs> another white face. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I used to pick on him a lot about his red hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have wet red hair though. What would yeah. what would that that's that color be then? Yeah, would you classify that blonde, with yeah. a, like a reddish blonde? I'm reddish I'm, tint maybe. I am blonde. You're a red well. You have no hair right now, so <laughs> that doesn't change the fact that I'm blonde. Okay, but anyway, speaking of ginger jokes, uh, a long time ago, <laughs> so I, a while ago, this is for Andrew, right? So a while back, right, uh, we had a Bible study at our home, and uh, Josh was the first to arrive, and I saw him through the window, uh-huh. and so as he approached the door, I opened it before he went before as he went to knock, I opened it, and he's like, "How'd you how'd you know I was here?" I was like, "It's like, man, 
we have a neighborhood watch. When they see a ginger, they broadcast it to the residents, and you have to claim them. So yeah. <laughs> or they'll call the cops. So. <laughs> yeah. Just like uh, an Amber Alert going around. Exactly. Ginger, Amber ginger. Alert. Ginger Alert. <laughs> uh, so okay. true. That's funny. So I'm, I'm not going to lie, man. I was so nervous coming. Because really? jo- Josh has been saying how excited he was mm-hmm. to have me on the podcast. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, oh, this is going to be so funny. And I'm, calm, I'm driving on my way here, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I, I am going to have – I have such big shoes to fill. And I was like, wait a minute. Wait, these are my shoes. And they're <laughs> like an eight and a half, maybe nine. So <laughs> not that big. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I was just like, okay, calm down, calm down. Just yeah, be yourself. Nice, man. Yeah. Well, you're doing a good job so far. Yeah. yeah thank you. Yeah. Excellent. Just what like car would you be? Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head, reliable. I would probably be like a, I don't know, a 2008 Toyota Corolla gray. What I lack in bells and whistles, I make up with efficiency and reliability. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm. Drew? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to be big. <laughs> <laughs> a bit portly. Well, not too big. So not like a truck. Maybe like a one of those VW. SUV. An, an SUV. Sport utility, Ooh, bro. You know, I could be like nice. a Ford Explorer. You know? All right. Hey. Like going on adventures. Bro. Right? Okay. I don't know. You know? Very nice. Slightly reliable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> slightly <know>. reliable. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Dude, yeah. I thought, I thought you would be electric for sure. Oh, oh. that's a car I would drive. The car that I am, no, I'd probably be electric. Uh, the young adult pastor, I yeah. mean, as a youth pastor, I would assume you'd be like a, an accord trying to make, you know, disciples and stuff. Oh, man. Oh. See? Yeah. Taryn doesn't That's like so my, clever. Taryn doesn't like my dad jokes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. yeah. She groans when I start one. Or start to say something. She thinks I'm serious, and then she's like, "She knows you're the never, you're never serious." The, the eye roll ensues. Yeah. yeah, that's hilarious. She just knows the punchline's coming, and she's already eye rolling in advance, premeditated eye roll. No, the the punchline. I don't get to a punchline anymore with her. I usually mm-hmm. get punched, so I just like <laughs> have to tell my jokes to other people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh, I I know about that. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> getting punched or the jokes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, both, yeah. Um, what it, what do you do for a living? For those who don't know, uh, if I told you, I'd have to kill you and then kill everyone who's I, listening. I'm already dead. Okay, <laughs> he's bleeding out on the floor, folks. Um, I work with computers. Computers uh, are cool. Yeah, I work with computers. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm in the Air Force. So. All right. Yeah, military military life. Hmm. It's great. Any adventures in the Air Force? Uh, yes. Let's see. Um, the whole the whole thing is an adventure. Um, uh, on a serious note, uh, from the very beginning, um, I felt led of God to join. Um, I felt peace in it. Um, and you learn real quick in the military that you have to take your hands off the wheel. Uh, because frankly, you just you're not in control. Um, you know, there, there's a bit of control and a bit of say you might have in things, but ultimately, you know, Uncle Sam is going to tell you where to go and what to do. And so, uh, I know, knowing that, you know, um, all authority is given by God and mm-hmm. just simply trust that ultimately he's in control and he's moving things around. And, 
I would say that um, my 11 years so far have, uh, on numerous occasions, uh, God's hand has been, uh, is definitely, you know, can see his hand in the, in the whole big, big picture. Um, a lot of crazy things in the military, um, just like any, um, what's the word? Ecosystem's not really right, but a group of people, you mm-hmm. know, uh, it, it is very, it is very different. Uh, especially in in my working with computers and stuff like that, uh, it's a special kind of people. Um, I did deploy to Afghanistan. Uh, Afghanistan was about a month after I got married, and that was in 2011. Oh wow! Um, that was not fun. Yeah. Getting married. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, both are a war zone, so. Uh, <laughs> I probably was less frustrated in Afghanistan. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, oh, wow. I'm just kidding. No, 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 I'm kidding. Uh, oh, no, no. Um, you better be. No, marriage was marriage is great. Uh, Taryn's awesome, um, and uh, I enjoy every minute of it. And, you know, it has its ups and downs, and you learn a lot of things. But uh, uh, having someone there uh, of like faith, uh, someone to build you up, and, you know, and walk by your side is is really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, Afghanistan was interesting uh i see when i joined the air force there were a lot of assumptions i made in the air force uh, one of them was like air bases uh so if you do deploy you'd be on like an airfield or something like that right mm-hmm. or whatever the case might be you know or you know they don't deploy as much as the others you know um because uh, i joined you know um wanting to support a family and learn learn a you know a trade and, and get some education and as well as travel um i wasn't one of those who's like hey i'm gonna join the military because i want to go and fight or shoot someone i mean i could that's not really me um what would happen is the army was not uh having enough um intel people um and so what they did was uh, the air expeditionary forces is essentially um the air force um uh uh Sorry, I have trouble finding words sometimes. Uh, not compensating, but uh, making up for that lack that the Army has. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we basically filled a Army role. So I deployed with the Army and was in a little combat outpost with the Army, mm-hmm. like the size of mm-hmm. an HEB parking lot or something. And um, I had an Army sergeant in charge of me, and I worked beside an Army private. And I was one of maybe three Air Force people on a cop of about 100 maybe people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, it was like kind of joining like it was like joining the Army for a little over six months. And uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was it was not a lot. Not really fun. Uh, It served my time, though, though, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, I want to deploy. I'm like, hey, you go for it. Mm -hmm. Do what you want to do, my friend. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, as as difficult as it was, uh, as not fun as it is, uh, uh, the Army Sergeant wanted to earn a combat action badge, a cap. So what he did was he volunteered us outside of the wire. uh, So that's, you know, on patrols and stuff like that um, almost every day, every other day. Oh, wow. Uh, I would would say almost every other day. did a lot of praying 
thank God uh, that I do thank God that uh, when I was out, I never our platoon never really got like really like assaulted or shot at. Others did. Um, there were when I got to the base, uh, there were a few people that had passed away. Um, mm. They were hit, you know, with some explosives, and I mean, I remember going to into the little our little wooden post office like shack to get the mail and uh, you would pass the belongings of individuals who um, who had passed away you know mm -hmm. um, you see a decorated box from a fiance or or uh, you know uh, the guy got newly newly married just married before you left or something like that and pictures of them all over the box and stuff and uh, or like um shoes and ziploc bags and stuff it's, it's just uh yeah that, w that was i got a lot of respect for all the other branches for sure um and uh yeah yeah even though you know th there's all that joking between the branches uh, who's the best and stuff like that uh i do believe air force takes one is what it takes best takes care of their people the most uh, it's really like a family um some of the other branches kind of get like a shorter than the stick, kind of like you're out of luck type of thing. Mm. Um, but on the real though, those guys get out there every day and what they do, it's uh, it's impressive and um, deserving of you know that the honor we give them and stuff. I remember <coughs> being volunteered for a patrol, and uh, I told the told that sergeant I was like man you're putting me in the wrong truck and he's like no no it's fine because uh, he he shifted to another truck because he wanted to volunteer to hold uh, the saw it's a squad assault weapon it's, uh -huh. a, it's a basically a big machine gun um, and uh, I told him he was like you're putting me in the wrong truck man I was like I'm supposed to be in that one and uh, he's like he didn't really care uh, so what happened was uh, we get out there and uh, there w they were firing a uh, 35 i think it was millimeter anti-tank rifle uh it's basically a large large rifle that they uh, basically a mini like a little cannon they pull out the back of a like a little truck or trailer like a bunch of guys get it out and about a mile away and then they just shoot like a shell at the uh cop trying to hit like one of them buildings or something like that uh did not hit on the cop at all while i was there um, they shot a fair, fairly often, but yeah, it didn't hit the cop. Uh, but we were going to the area where they had shot from. And so we get there and they drive the, the vehicles and they, d they, the vehicles are like far apart. And I'm told I have to go from this vehicle to like a certain vehicle, right? Mm -hmm. Um, now these are heavily armored MRAPs, right? Um, and so I get out, and I'm like, are you kidding me? And they're like, I'm like, well, where's the other vehicle? And the guy, the, the gunner, he's like, points in a general direction, and I look, and I'm like, is it, like, way behind those trees over there? It's like, it's like almost a mile, like, of, like, flat desert. Uh -huh. And then I see some trees, and, like, I'm like, yeah, he's, like, around the trees, and a little bit to the left or whatever. I was like, okay. And uh, there were kids everywhere. Uh, they're like oh, wow. 15 20 kids around me and so i'm like i'm like please don't try to grab my pistol and so i'm just walking uh, uh got my rifle and uh these kids are just all around me that you know they want candy or you know uh 
because uh, sometimes the gunners, you know, give them candy and stuff. Um, and I'm like, ah. Uh. And I'm looking left and right, looking at the tree, trees and like little uh, straw and mud huts and stuff. And then this and I'm like, oh, I don't want to get shot. Uh, anyway, I, I managed to. It was a little over a mile or so. I mean, uh, I walked the distance, got there, and then uh, was like, I'm done with this. So <laughs> done with this, because I was out there for a specific reason and uh, wasn't being used for that reason. But I was a little airman, so you didn't, you don't really know. You know, you're, you're like, like yeah, you yeah. You just do what you're you're told, and anyway. Wow, that sounds so nerve wracking. Yes, yes, it was. I was so glad to be back. My I goodness. think that's like, I guess with, with like modern adaptations of like uh, war films, mm-hmm. we get like a more clear picture of how it is. But like, I used to always have the mentality that when you went into war, um, war zones, it was like the, like designated areas. You know what I mean? Like there was like hillsides or you know abandoned like towns and it, it just makes it more real when you realize that you're like in their in in their towns and their mm-hmm. cities yep. um and then you can't distinguish who who is who mm-hmm. or what potential threats there might be and yeah. so that like i'm sure that it has like psychological effects it's just like you're always just always constantly on the ready mm-hmm. yeah we um yeah, we were right next to a little town. Uh, that that rifle, that anti-tank rifle, actually hit the uh, little town several times. Um, I, I think you know there were some casualties, uh, but the the towns out in the Middle East uh, usually have like a like a village elder or someone in charge, you know, type of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would come to the gate and they would speak to our. Um, uh, or basically a, like a legal team sort of uh mm-hmm. but they're they're like meant to be like culturally culturally sensitive and stuff like that and work and you know uh, get support out to these people and uh they would you know if they had complaints or something like that um i want to say that the the largest base there um in the country like employed like thousands like hmm. uh several thousand if i if i can recall like uh locals so they were doing all kinds of stuff uh, on the base um but uh yeah you just have those people who they're they have a particular ideal um they want to um you know target the u.s uh you know they've they're they've got uh it's a jihad you know so they're they believe that uh we're the enemy um, uh, there, there's a, an amount of oppression within the country of their own people, um, and so you're there, and they're doing their best to promote, to to pay individuals, pay children to do things, you know, give them new shoes or whatever. Um, and yeah, you got to be on the lookout for these things, um, you know. Uh, yeah, I yeah. think it's just so crazy how culturally. Uh, different is there in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're so accustomed to what we experience here in Western culture. Just the 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 freedoms that we have, you know, and even to like the other end of that scale, like almost having so much freedom. I think that's mm-hmm. what they they look at mm-hmm. and what they target is this excessiveness, I guess, mm-hmm. right? But to see that repressed and that uh, over there and um, how much that they they're just accustomed to it mm-hmm. right and that they try to promote that like it 
to me it, it's just unreal that they live that way and not seeing that there's another side to that to um, only just looking at Westerners as mm-hmm. like complete polar opposites just being the enemy um, you know and not knowing what true like freedom really is well I mean I think freedom is so with all the different uh, groups of people around the world and different countries um, uh, I think that freedom has different levels right so mm-hmm. um, other countries you know uh, they don't have a particular frame of time that certain things happen or things are open or closed or when to go to work and do work and so they have a measure of freedom in that particular way and if you think about these people in the, the Middle East I mean they have uh, some freedoms in ways that you know we uh, we may we may not um, but there what happens is the the radicalist are the ones that see us as the enemy and the polar opposites however the locals that we were employing and we were uh, helping build up their towns and and, and that sort of thing um, I mean we're just a blessing and uh, they and I would say in 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 their eyes um, you know for instance the children you know uh, you know all the food and the, the candy and, and just the the cool shoes and the gadgets and the things we have um, they might look on you know us in all um, not like particularly a, a, as the enemy um, but I would say that for as far the far as the radicals go I mean, yeah, they're against, you know, uh, women, um, r- women having rights or, um, you know, showing too much skin, right, and, and these things. Um, they're, they're very uh, dogmatic in their belief, so, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I'm not super familiar on this, but I, I, I have heard that this is something that's more recently happened in their culture. So, like, of course... You've had Islam mm-hmm. for for centuries mm-hmm. that has been persistent in that region. But um, I remember, I forget where I had seen imagery of like um, Iran, for example, in the 60s and how modern it appeared, mm-hmm. you know, and how they had universities. And they just seemed like, you know, um, almost like what's recognizable here in, in Western culture your standard metropolis mm-hmm. you know people studying dressing normally mm-hmm. um, and that's like in stark contrast now to what we see today where everyone is it, it's very uh, you know and you can speak more to this because you were you were actually there mm-hmm. um, but it, it seems like it's you know not nearly as modern any longer um, you know and they're they're very um, I want to say like dogmatic, like you said, mm-hmm. as, as a uh, to uphold their beliefs as far as like what women can wear and what they what they can do, mm-hmm. um, and so I I don't know I wonder what that tran- what change or what made them transition <coughs> from that mentality to where they are today. Well, I'm, I'm thinking that Iran was like that, and then the mullahs came to power, and then they shifted, but I'm not totally sure about Afghanistan mm-hmm. 
yeah. like how they were in the 60s and 70s. Yeah, I, I suppose it ultimately, it re- it the result, the the factor is probably who was in power, who had the influence, and then, um, you know, pushing individuals uh, toward an ideal as as a way to help them escape uh, the reality of uh, the time or place that they're living in. And sure. so, um, you know, the belief, the belief that, uh, you know, uh, when you're talking about jihad and, and um, uh, uh, Sharia law and, and all those things and um, these these terrorist organizations, you know, pushing these ideals. I mean, like ISIS, right? All over the news, they're pushing it and promoting it. I mean, they've got their magazines and websites and all that stuff. And what they're doing is they're appealing to a younger generation, and they're like basically saying, hey, come join the battle of light versus darkness. They're like saying, you know, uh, Hollywood and, and the American way of life, uh, you know, the uh, greed and, and, you know, all these other things, right? Uh, it's wickedness, evil, and, and, you know, we, we have to fight mm-hmm. them. And I, I want to say that I believe that the Quran states something along the lines of um, in in their sort of last battle I think there's going to be like 3,000 of these fighters or warriors left and then they're going to I believe go north toward if I, I'm trying to recall uh, north toward or into Turkey and that Jesus will arrive to defeat the enemy and mm. then uh, you know save that, three, that last 3,000 and then and that's that'll be like the end of the like battle or whatever. You're talking about like the eighth imam kind of thing. I can't recall because they have like. a similar kind of rapture narrative mm-hmm. that applies to like the last days and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Hmm. Um, but let me play uh, devil's advocate for a second. Yeah. So you get you get this kid that's in Syria or Iraq or whatever, and uh, he's unfamiliar with what's in his town, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but next thing you know, you, he just knows that a missile from the sky explodes in his town mm-hmm. and kills, you know, people that he loves or that he interacted with. And then you get ISIS. That's like, hey, those guys that shot that missile was the U.S. Let's yep. go fight them. I mean, what? I guess my question is like, what do you expect them to do? I mean, they weren't aware because mm-hmm. obviously our rationale of shooting that missile there was there was enemy there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But the civilians there don't know that. You know, mm-hmm. they don't have the intel we have, and so what they see is. You mm-hmm. know, aggression from some power thousands of miles away, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you, and then you—it's the argument of like, well, that's how you get insurrection, and that's how you get uh, people rising up, mm-hmm. and, and you're you're radic- People say this a lot: you're radicalizing them. Mm-hmm. Someone who is just moderate at first, once their you know family dies, then they become radicalized, mm-hmm. um, and so. 
there can be an argument had about America's role in in uh, what's going on in the radicalization of that region. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a which came first, chicken or the egg kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, it goes all the way back to, like, the end of World War One, where that whole region was destabilized. And you got a bunch of, like, Brits, you know you know western powers drawing lines for iraq and syria and all that stuff and i guess that's never really sat well with the people that's been living there mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. so like what what's your like uh, rebuttal for that like america uh, america has some part to play in the destabilization of that region so yeah i not really rebutting. Uh, oh, okay. I, I, so yeah, I mean, I I, I concur, and and you know, oh, okay, it would definitely play a part. And uh, I mean, misinformation, propaganda, counter propaganda is always going to be there, and then also y- the very actions. Uh, y- it's a balancing act. Is is uh, pursuing a particular goal and an attempt to eliminate or uh, stop particular group, target, whatever. Is it um, is it worth the the backlash? You know, is it worth the outcome or the fallout of you know of the operations or actions that are going to take place? And uh, sometimes, uh, just you know, you you might not you can't like really eliminate an idea. It'll only it can only grow in some some situations. However, you may be able to focus key individuals and or uh, get the point across to said terrorist organization or whatever the case is that you're not going to uh, just lay down and take it. You know, yeah, that there is a there is a an amount of or there's reprisal for certain things, right? Um, yeah, so I definitely I, I see the point of that. I mean, you you see an explosion, you lose someone you love, or um, your town is hit. Um, even if your town, uh, you don't see it hit, you know, the fact that we're just in the region, um, Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a reminder to the people that they are in a state of war, that they're, at least their region is in a state of war, and, uh, you know, maybe they're okay to a certain degree, or they made peace with this organization or entity, um, perhaps, it ne- that entity never really, you know, affected their lives all that much, whatever the case is. But now that, you know, uh, the U.S. is on their soil, what's going to happen is you're going to have attacks, explosions, whatever the case is, either from that entity or the U.S., and, and that could definitely destabilize things. Um, we saw the, the, guy, the, the guy shooting the anti-tank rifle at us, right, at our little outpost. They... There were civilian casualties. Uh, they never hit us. Um, it was not very accurate, mm-hmm. as far as back as they were shooting. Um, and you know, our people, you know, that that spoke to their leader, did the best they could to m- to mitigate and, and make up for uh, those thi- those issues. But um, we were able to see the people unloading, loading, shooting. Um, we could have probably blown them sky high. However, there were a number of 
people who didn't have weapons who were standing around and uh, it's simply not you know trying to you know this is this is way over my head these mm -hmm. are leadership decisions right and trying to make that decision you know it, it's a hard one you you could that that eliminating that right uh, that group of people right <laughs> around that 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 rifle um, could result in just a much greater uh, issues in the region right mm -hmm. yeah. um, and it would broadcast everywhere right and uh, I think that's why reason why you know some of the bigger races employed you know thousands of individuals is because look this is who we are that's why we had a relationship and we had these outposts next to the town because we tried to help out we tried to uh, you know, do all that sort of stuff. And so, um, yeah, try to mitigate some of that false information mm -hmm. or whatnot. Yeah. I mean, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Restroom break. <laughs> yeah. I'll be back in five seconds. Okay, yeah, go for it. All right. We'll pause. Transition song. Uh-huh. Transition song. Transition song. Transition song. All right Transition now. song. Uh huh. Transition song. Transition song. And now we go back to what we were already doing. We're back up again. All right, and we're back. <laughs> we have all pottied. Uh, <laughs> we have all pottied, not just Josh. Yeah. And like, this is why I've made the transition song right here. This th for this reason. It's perfect. But anyways, I don't know about you, but I feel quite relieved. <laughs> Honestly, man, I had a big lunch. <laughs> well, that is great. Yeah. Good to know. That Good just went on know. the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We're real here at the After Church Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Unfiltered. <laughs> yeah. For a while, I wasn't sure if I was going to come on your show because church never stops for me. And I was not sure how I could fit into the After Church oh. Podcast. So, you know, oh. too holy You didn't go on to the this. continuous <laughs> church yeah, podcast. I just, I just feel attacked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the never ceasing church podcast. Yeah. Ooh. Sorry. We, yeah. We need to change your name. We need to change everything, change our logo yeah. that you just made. And then. Back to the drawing board. You have a logo <laughs> now? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. We're going to have merch. You're going to have merch? Yeah. That's Buy our merch. <laughs> Check out our merch store. <laughs> nah. Awesome. Um, well, all right. Anyways, um, okay, so you brought a Greek lexicon, mm. and you brought various articles. All right. Which one do you want to cover first? Because I'm ready, I'm ready to go into the 12 foot okay. part of the pool. All right, all right. Mm. So, um, so in in my time studying the word the past few years, uh, you know, I've kind of cons made some consolidated like uh, studies and stuff like that, and I I kind of very much took an interest in different perspectives. Um, I was curious. Uh, what is the perspective, you know, uh, of an atheist regarding the Word of God? Um, how could I discount that? Um, how could I address uh, on their level uh, their particular concerns or, you know, uh, arguments in, in, you know, why is invalid? Or, um, I mean, I, met, I, met a fr I had a friend that I worked with uh, before I left uh, for Maryland. And um, he said he was a Reformed Baptist, and they uh, get a majority of their belief uh, 
via Calvinism. So um, he explained TULIP to me, which is a um, an acronym for uh, it's like total inability. Um, there's a few other. Let me see. Just spit it out there. Uh, so total depravity. This is talking about man. We're totally depraved. In other words, I just think the acronym TULIP sounds much happier than what the oh, acronym yeah. represents. <laughs> so, so they b- believe in total depravity. In other words, um, that man is um, is dead. That that we are dead in our sin and our trespasses, and we're actually not capable of good. And if we do good, then it's sort of a um, the motive behind it is probably not like right or you know even if it seems to be good um that without god uh, without his spirit you know we can't and then unconditional okay well that doesn't seem that problematic (laughs) to me yeah what what are the others uh so unconditional election um basically unconditional election says uh that there are God chooses to give some people eternal life without looking for anything good in them as a condition uh, for loving and saving them. So it's sort of unconditional election uh, election kind of feeds into the idea of um, uh, predestination. Pre- predestination. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. The L stands for limited limited atonement. Um, <laughs> yeah. Limited. <laughs> limited there there are limits to god's love (laughs) yeah um so let's see here um what does it say about that one let's see so many people are only carrying distant lands christ makes atonement with his death uh but there are two critical points at which this message um can be distorted so give me a second here this is actually the typed up version of uh, sort of a rebuttal to Tulip. Um, so let's see. Biblical truth of atonement is that his death paid for sins. Yet, uh, so t- many today teach that Christ's death was only an example for us to follow. And if one merely follows his example, he will be saved. Word um, is taught that Christ's death did not actually pay for any specific sins, but made it possible for all sins to be paid for. So. I'm going to have to right. look up limited atonement on my phone real quick to get the actual definition for that one. Yeah, the computer. Let me see. Let me see. I, I'm trying to understand what that even means. Yeah. Like, uh, Christ didn't die for our sins, but he made it possible for sins to be paid for. I could just read this straight, and we can kind of interpret. Yeah. Um, so it says limited atonement or definite atonement and sometimes particular redemption it's a doctrine accepted in some christian theological traditions it is particularly associated with the reformed tradition Mm -hmm. and is one of the five points of calvinism okay so that's what does it say specifically the doctrine states that through the death of jesus christ or though the death of jesus christ is sufficient to atone for sins for the whole world it was the intention of god the father that the atonement of Christ's death would work itself out in the elect only. Ah, all right. So, so that kind there of plays go. off of uh, unconditional election. 
Right. So, so only that's like why that's few. why yep. it's limited because it's limited to the people that God elects unconditionally, regardless of of uh, you know how well they lived or whether they obeyed his commandments or whatnot. All right. So yeah. is that kind of like that it's already written in stone, basically, who is saved and who isn't? Yeah. And yeah. there's nothing you can it, do to it, escape it that? Largely, so it largely goes into, yeah, back to the predestination, because uh, this gentleman, I, I had talked to him. Um, I constructed a Bible study uh, particularly on the subject, um, and we talked for three or four hours, went over to his house, had dinner, had a good time, talked for like four hours, Taryn was like, Taryn and his wife, they were just like sitting on the couch, kind of like, <sighs> can we go? Um, but um, yeah, so he they, they, he had a pastor um, of church who led it for, I want to say, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea was that this individual was saved. He was one of the elect, right? And um, well, how would you know? Like, what did he say how he knew he was an elect? He he knew he was one of the elect because uh, he exhibited the understanding of the word. He exhibited, um, you know, he said baptism is not necessary for salvation. But if you believe the word and you are going and you're going to love God, then you're going to do it eventually. And so, like, he did all these things, right? Um, and so they they just thought, hey, he is one of the elect. He, you know, th- he's teaching us, right? Well, he got caught in adultery. Well, he got caught in adultery, and then uh, he wound up leaving the church completely, Ouch. like just high and dry. Uh-huh. Um, and I, so in, in that case, I had asked him, I was like, well, so wait a minute. I thought, so is he one of the elect? Is he like, is he saved? And he was like, no. This just means that he was never one of the elect, and so he he was never saved. God, that's so, what a hopeless place to but, be in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, and I I spoke with another individual not long ago who explained it in a different way. He said he was like, because uh, um, I was I was like you know predestination, right? And so he said, you know, we're uh, us just being man, right? We look at the woods like the tree line, and we see just those first row of trees and Mm -hmm. we were like that's the woods but god looks from the sky and he can see from that tree line all the way to the other tree Mm -hmm. line and so when we talk about the elect we're talking about the individuals on the other end of the the tree line Mm. and so i was like okay i can i kind of see that but the way that the common person uh, that the the people sitting on the pew Mm -hmm. under understand it or explain it is kind of like, you know, if you're here and you're kind of studying the word and you, you claim it, then you're one of the elect. And that's that. Except when you're not. It, yeah. yeah. Except so, when you make a mistake and then boom, you never were. So yeah, it, you so. would be like the hope of like, I hope that I'm the elect, but you can never really be sure. You can never be sure. Right. Or yeah. I'm sure they probably have some like rites or traditions or something that uh-huh. kind of like help illuminate that. Perhaps right. I'm well, not too familiar with Calvinism. So, so the eye, the eye is irresistible grace. Um, okay. So grace is God's free and unmerited power to save a person from his sins, which would otherwise lead us to hell. Grace brings him to heaven, uh, who naturally would end in eternal hell, and it explains that. It says that God's grace to save a person cannot be resisted. Um, 
So you're just going to be saved one way or another. It doesn't yeah. matter. Kind of almost like what you're going to end up doing. Well, so that, that it means that if God gives grace to you, there uh-huh. is nothing in the world that you can do to resist it and thwart God's intention to take you to heaven. But here's here's my problem. Yeah. It's ultimately your choice, but but I do believe God's grace sometimes acts that way in that um, like I didn't do anything to deserve it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then like um, sometimes like I would resist the will of God, but then ultimately God will sort of like, you know, cause things to happen. The way, the way I think of grace is divine intervention. Mm-hmm. And that has no bearing on whether we want him to or not. Mm-hmm. It's just him intervening. Mm-hmm. But like mercy, it's like mercy is something we act on for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, like he gives us mercy. So either we ignore it, keep doing what we're doing, or we take that chance and uh, adjust our lives and our mindsets. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So the final one is preser- preservation of saints. Um, this is a belief of Calvinism. It makes it clear that once a person has experienced salvation, they cannot lose that salvation. If someone is part of the elect, they will always be part of the elect. Uh, if someone claims to have except when they're not, though. Exactly. So it's kind of like, you know, I believe I am, but I really can't determine whether I am fully or not. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I'll eventually see. Until then, you know, just yeah. try. But um, I remember the conversations. Uh, I, I, I looked into the tulip and uh, I broke it out. And I had some other documents, but a um, uh, thing I wrote up. Um, but essentially, the biggest hang-ups for him, um, you know, he, they, he talked about how they believe in original sin. Um, uh, he, he talked about, he, so he said his dad was actually a pri- prior apostolic and went to the Reformed uh uh, baptism, a Baptist, uh, Calvinism, right? And so he knew all about Acts two thirty eight. He said, um, and so he was talking about Acts two thirty eight and explaining that what they do is the Greek word eis. I think you've heard Josh has probably heard me talk about this before, but the Greek word eis. I'm not sure how you say it. A's eyes. Um, they they believe that it is a backward looking um, uh, what was it I'm so bad with English noun something uh, basically um, our descriptive word adjective adjective there you go that's it a backward <laughs> looking so uh, so what happens is um, they say you know Peter Peter said repent and be baptized right for the remission of sins well. That word, that four right there, is uh, E-I-S in the Greek. And they believe that it, it's saying, hey, you, you, gon- you are going to repent and be baptized because of the, your, your sins have been forgiven. Because of your sins already being remitted, uh-huh. you will repent and be, and be baptized. Right. And that they're not explaining so they don't see it as it's saying hey you must repent and be baptized in order to uh-huh. obtain the remission of sins you should repent and be baptized because you have been forgiven of your sins um, and so the issue which this Greek lexicon was so so uh, helpful in determining um, I spent like 
it was like 350 bucks and I bought it for this this occasion and I broke it out and what happened was um, you bought it for this occasion no not the sorry not the <laughs> podcast oh. I brought the this for the occasion with my friend okay. my friend all right, yeah. all right all right I was about to say like, no 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 no, no 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 so the <laughs> so uh, that particular Greek term was used uh, uh, was like 30 something times I think it was 38 times in the New Testament um, and the way it works is the Greek lexicon has a number of scholars who have studied that particular dead language and um, I want to say a dozen or more concurred that EIS is a forward-looking um, adjective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they break out all 30-something occasions in which the term is used. And they concur that in each and every occasion it's forward-looking, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there were two individuals um, who... When I did this, when I stu- uh, studied them out, they were actually not scholars of Greek, but they made the assertion that Acts two thirty eight, the four is backward looking. So what they used was they used common uh, English vernacular, and so when we say for today, you can go to jail for something you've done, so uh, because of something you've done, you've done. Mm-hmm. So it's backward looking. But you can go to uh, the pharmacy for medicine, to obtain medicine. Mm-hmm. So for has uh, dual usage today, and mm-hmm. what they've done is they've applied it to that particular scripture. Now, the only they, they attempted to use two cases uh, within uh, the Word of God to validate this assumption. Um, and I w- want to say it is referring to the destruction of um trying to think here the particular scripture that they quoted destruction of a particular city uh uh jonah nineveh nineveh there we go thank you sir uh essentially thank you sunday school yes (laughs) yes so there was um there's a scripture that states that um it's in the New Testament, and it's talking about, I believe it's Paul, talking about Jonah having um, having warned Nineveh. And um, it says that, you know, had Nineveh uh, basically listened or whatever um, in regard, you know, and it says for the destruction. And because of the particular tense uh, that that scripture is written in, it's, it's discussing a person. Yeah, thank you for looking it up, sir. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you found it? Uh, no, I'm still trying to. Okay. Um, so, um. scripture regarding the destruction of Nineveh, the warning that they had received. I think it said something along the lines of they repented for the warning of their destruction. Just Any, keep going. Keep it, so yeah. anyhow, that particular scripture, that's what they use to say, oh, look, this is backwards looking, but it's only backwards looking because it is an individual speaking of another individual warning a city of something to come that didn't come. It, it gets convoluted. Anyway, they use that as their use case, right? Well, the other dozen plus individuals in the lexicon 
that say that the other 30-something cases of this word being used are forward-looking, they said, well, what about the particular term for the remission of sins? So that particular phrase is used four times, uh, I believe four times in the New Testament, uh, specifically for the remission of sins, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in each of those cases, um, so like here, when, uh, Jesus in the Last Supper, he says, I pour out my blood, um, and, and then he states that, hey, this is a symbol, right? And it is meant for the remission of sins. Well, in that case, if you say, okay, that four is backwards looking. So if you change the other three cases that you find for the remission of sins and you look backwards, they don't make sense. So if Jesus is explaining that, you know, uh, this, this is the blood that I pour out, you know, and then I do so, you know, for the remission of sins, mm -hmm. then he's saying that I am dying because you have already been forgiven of all your sins. So he's like dying for nothing. His death is not is not effectual because you've already been forgiven of your sins. Mm. Uh, basically, it unravels uh, the other three uh, locations you find in the New Testament where it says for the remission of sins. You. you uh, if you m turn it to do a backward facing, if you if you say this is because of the sins that have already been forgiven, it doesn't make sense. So, wow. yeah, uh, let's see. There was that. And then um, I got really into Catholicism. And I was reading, I uh, read through their uh, not it's huge. The their catechism, like beliefs uh, system, all those documents, um, some of their council. Uh, council documents um, just really interesting interesting stuff you know uh, what they call denominations uh, I mean you guys I, I sure know and agree that they're not really denominations they might have small bits or partial truths but um, a Christian is a Christian is a follower is Christ like and um, either you or or you aren't, uh, they might have a part of it. And I know that there's there are some Corneliuses mm -hmm. in these different, uh, uh, you know, denominations. But uh, I do believe that one day or uh, some, some point or another that God will reveal more of himself to them. Um, uh, but I have some relatives who were uh, Catholic, and it, I just thought it was a really interesting thing to look into. And um, I, when I look at their saints, I it cracks me up. Um, <laughs> they have so many, uh, so many saints, and and you, they pray to that saint of that particular thing. But I mean, uh, I found out there was a saint of coffee shops, so that's oh, wow. uh, that's pretty <laughs> cool. Wow! Yeah, um, literally a saint for everything. Yeah, yeah. So, so that that's cool stuff, and um, you know. Largely, when it came down to studying it, and then um, I didn't want to know just like doctrinally what they say or the traditions and the things that they do, because it was easy to see. Okay, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's not scriptural. You know, like uh, praying with uh, the rosary, right? Mm -hmm. Repetitive prayer, prayer beads. Um, 
look, this particular point right here, right? Uh, Catholics pray repetitive words with rosary beads that were first invented in 1090 AD by Peter the Hermit and made popular by St. Dominic in 1208 AD. Uh, Catholics believe that Mary appeared to St. Dominic in 1208 AD at the Church of Pruil and revealed the rosary beads to him. Uh, from this time, Catholics prayed 15 sets of 10 consecutive Hail Marys in a row, that's 150 times, in the rosary. However, in 2000 AD, 2003, uh, Pope John Paul added a new set of mysteries, so now it is 20 sets of 10 Hail Marys, or 200 times on the rosary. Uh, and then, you know, they basically appeal to Psalm 136, um, that alternates the same phrase 26 times with 26 different blessings God mm. gives us. Um, now, I thought it was interesting that, uh, so the Roman Catholics borrowed the idea of praying with beads from the pagan religions who were already using them hundreds of years before. In 456 AD, Hindus are thought to have introduced the concept of praying with beads to the world. Uh, the earliest reference to a rosary, or babarka, is in is in their Jain canon, 456 A.D. Uh, these babarkas had various numbers of beads: six, nine, twelve, eighteen, thirty-six. And Islam, in 610 A.D., uses a rosary of 99 beads, one for each of the names of God. And Buddhists have 108 prayer beads on the string. So. Um, just one of the really cool things that you know, just kind of picking apart what they uh, their doctrine and stuff, or their traditions, um, where it, where it started, where it came from, uh, the root of that idea, and we know that we have everything that we need in the Word. Uh, Paul himself said, and you know, if I come to you or you know an angel come to you saying anything different, uh, you know, then let that one be accursed. And so uh, you'll be surprised that the number, when you look through history uh, at where some of these things started, the number of times a pope was visited by a either Mary or uh, a different angel um, and was led to institute uh, something. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, but also aside from, you know, looking into the, you know, the, the traditions and stuff, I was also trying to figure out from a, a Catholic's perspective, right, you know, what would they need to hear, you know, um, ultimately God, you know, will lead and give you sensitivity in any conversation with uh, an individual um, of one of these denominations, and uh, you, you try, you definitely want to try to be sensitive, and you don't want to like, while these things are cool, it's not really the approach to say, hey, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Um, but, you know, largely when it comes to Catholicism, it, it's all, it, it's a family, um, uh, legacy type right. of thing. Usually, usually it's generations. And so, um, it's sort of, and they're not above like, um, uh, lack of a better term, like excommunicating or, you know, cutting someone out of their life if, you know, uh, they deviate from that legacy. And then on top of that, uh, they're not taught, you know, to just, hey, study the word, open the word. Um, from the longest time, I believe, up until the 16th century, 
Uh, I could look in. I, I could flip through all these pages. I got a lot of them. But I know it's in here. It's until uh, Gutenberg, right? Gutenberg, yeah, the Vulgate, uh, everything in Latin. Is that what you're referring to? Uh, Gutenberg was the one that uh, printed. Yeah, printed the printed press, and and, and the first thing he available. printed yeah. was the Bible. I oh, think it was. Yeah. I think it was the Latin. I think it was the Latin. The Vulgate, yeah. Yeah. So. Bible written. Uh, Apologize. I'm not, I'm not well versed in all of that it, stuff. It's in the last few centuries, uh, whether it be 16th or 18th. Um, uh, but basically, uh, Catholicism they taught the priest taught. Uh, from a Latin uh, Bible, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and then when it came to translations, the uh, early tra- translations uh, in the days of like Reformation and stuff, um, the church uh, prosecuted uh, many individuals who uh, attempted translations and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, <coughs> One of the things I thought was interesting is um like so we're we're accommodated or accustomed to the idea of investigating or studying the word for ourselves mm-hmm. um but that's not like a common no. uh trait in, in, a, in a lot of different religions mm-hmm. o- oftentimes they um put that responsibility on their teachers right and mm-hmm. then they kind of remove themselves from the equation and say well i'm just going to accept whatever you teach but i think i talked to someone that um a couple of years ago about their thoughts on studying the Quran because there is uh, they're, they're Muslim mm-hmm. and they the way they kind of framed it was that they just didn't feel that they were worthy to study the Quran and that that was more mm-hmm. uh, the responsibility of their imam so um, you know it just is not a common concept like mm-hmm. they it wasn't something that they they were um, avoiding mm-hmm. or you know that they were unwilling to do it's just that that was their teacher's responsibility and that you know they could read it but um they had like reverence mm. uh, towards their teacher or the imam to do all the teaching yeah. and so i think that was more common before the printing press that you would go to your priest to um dole out the responsibility of studying it out and telling me what i have to do because i think there's a level of comfort to tradition mm-hmm. and just having like a set template of things I have to do A, B, C, and D. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's hard to break for a lot of folks. Yeah, that that is so true. Uh, having so many generations and so many centuries of that particular, you go to the priest for all your needs, you depend on him to study it, to tell you it, then even when you've gotten the Bible, I mean, generation upon generation, just picking up from your, your parents and how they do things and your grandparents and how they do things, um, I could see how that could be a hurdle um, that people who claim to be Christian but, you know, adhere to uh, the Catholic tradition and just faith, that they would uh, have difficulty just getting into the Word themselves and studying it. Um, but granted, um, the, the Catechism outright teaches that... Uh, that an infallible word requires an infallible interpreter. Therefore, um, it's essentially stating that the word of God is not for, like, the layman to to mm-hmm. simply die, die uh, uh, discern, you know, take apart and 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 look at. Rather, you need to depend on a, a priest, a parish priest, to break that out for you. And then, um, but ultimately, they are only. Um, uh, 
passing on, you know, so like the Pope is the the source, the the one, you know, contact to God uh, that can uh, interpret and discern infallibly the word. And um, now, you know, they they kind of get around that because they say he's infallible, right? And you know, Pope's infallible, right? But he had um, uh, who's the guy who created uh, who who said that the uh, Earth circled around the Sun? Uh, Copernicus. Was it Copernicus? I thought it. That doesn't sound like the name. I thought it was the Pope who who asserted that. No, no, the Pope prosecuted an individual. Galileo. Uh, Galileo, yes, Galileo. I think Copernicus was the first heliocentrist. Oh, okay. And then Galileo kind of spun off from that, and gotcha. he was the one that was persecuted for sure. Spun off, <laughs> yeah. So the, <laughs> so the, so yeah, yeah. Okay. So the Pope prosecuted, you know, had him prosecuted, right? Um, I say prosecuted because I, I can't recall exactly what was done to him, mm-hmm. uh, but he was in. Uh, House arrest, Galileo. Yeah, so it was house arrest, right? Uh, because of his outlandish statements. Um, and so you would think, ah, oh, well, the Pope was wrong, right? Well, it's only when he sits on the uh, mercy seat, I believe. When he sits on that particular seat. He oh, is it the seat where he where everything he says is God? Yes, yes. Oh, wow. and, and, and that's where they... Something. They've, yeah, yeah they've, made a, they've made a number of judgments. He's made a, uh, the Pope has probably, I don't know, 10 times or less in the history of the church. Maybe Sat in that chair. Yeah, yeah, maybe something. a dozen times. And usually it's about, um, it, it, the ones I recall were about Mary. Um, here, here's a question for you. What is the Immaculate Conception from what you understand? Okay, so that refers to, you know, Jesus being conceived in Mary's womb. So it's a trick question. The Immaculate Conception is actually not about Jesus. The virgin birth was Jesus? Yes. Immaculate Conception is the belief in within the Catechism, which you can look it up on the Catholic.org or if you can draw up the Catechism. Or, uh, but it, it's referring to the birth of Mary. See, Mary was born sinless. They believe in original sin. But she was immaculately conceived, born without sin because she was full of grace. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we we heard yeah. about it today. She was there in the upper room. Yeah, I know. We heard about it today that <laughs> Mary herself was in the upper room, filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke with other tongues. Yeah. Yeah, she was there. Um. I I thought that it was the virgin birth as well. Um, before having studied it, and was shocked to find that they believe it. Uh, that that is the case. Um, Hail Mary, full of grace. Yeah. They believe that terminology, uh, that particular scripture was, uh-huh. is in concert with explaining immaculate conception, saying that she was full mm-hmm. of grace from her birth. But of course, um, uh, there was another, there was a disciple who it was stated was full of grace. He was stoned. He looked up into heaven. Wow. Stephen. Stephen. I'm sorry, man. I'm bad with names. I was uh, about to mention that. Yeah. Do they believe the same about Stephen? No, they don't. Yeah, but that was uh, that was my original uh, uh, comment. Now, there's a slight difference, uh, you see, because the Catholic Church has a two-step translation when they talk about, when they refer to catechism, uh, when they build their catechism, um, uh, like all their doctrine and stuff, their traditions and stuff like that. Uh, it's very 
they very few scriptures it's not really built on scripture they, they'll like use a scripture to kind of establish an entire thing and build out an entire thing from it um, uh, but there is a quote um, uh, when the angel visited uh, Mary um, which I looked up in the Greek and I couldn't find it and it, it turned out that it's this two steps translation so they translated it from Greek to Latin and then if you're referring to the Catholic Bible the ones that are available today that is actually translated from the Latin and so it when it we have that two-step translation it, it results in a, a slight few different words and one of those words was in a particular scripture that was used to explain Immaculate Conception so yeah because I don't recall that about Mary reading in the King James being her full of grace being full of grace yeah yeah no that it, that's actually the the grace uh, full of either the term full the whole thing full of grace or just grace mm -hmm. is actually um, uh, a result of two-step translation because I mean it's in John 1 yeah where it talks about and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth no no yeah it's not there no it, it's actually in the conversation between the angel and Mary yeah hmm. that they're quoting of her being full of grace okay may yeah. maybe this search engine that I have on this bible app is being weird yeah, yeah. so I'm reading the um, the catechism mm -hmm. And, in, and th this is just to put it out there so you guys have more of a grasp of what we're talking about here. It says, Through the centuries, the church has become ever more aware that Mary, full of grace through God, was reformed or redeemed, sorry, from the moment of her conception. That is what the dogma of the Immaculate Conception confesses. Uh. So, and it, and it does reference the, the conversation that the angel Gabriel at the moment of the Annunciation salutes her as full of grace so yeah. that's something that's not present in our no uh, translation of the bible no yeah wow well let me look up what the conversation was in the king james but again it probably doesn't matter if their bible is different yeah no on this note ladies they, and they can say oh it's in the bible well it's not in my bible yeah so now you get a difference of bibles and that's yeah. <laughs> just be careful with translations today yeah because uh, mm -hmm. there's the multiple step translations and then there's the ones where they don't do word for word. They do thought for thought. Mm -hmm. Those those can be very dangerous. Yeah. Those you do really have to keep an eye out for. Where they're more like trying to convey the thought mm -hmm. that they think. It's so it's all interpretive. Uh -huh. And people will read that and be... That's the way the uh, message was, right? Mm -hmm. It was sort of a paraphrase, thought for thought. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's just one of those things, like read it to read it. Don't preach from it, or I mean, yeah. I've I've heard preachers preach from it, but it's it's usually a supplement, not yeah. the sing singular scripture. Well, if you want to develop something that's doctrinal, or you want to know what is doctrine, I, I certainly wouldn't want to develop that from a paraphrase. You know, yes. that's something that I'm going to implement in my day to day life. Yeah, you know, when it comes to like you know. Um, you know, spiritual um, uh, practice, mm -hmm. you know, uh -huh. and and um, how we ought to operate as Christians, mm -hmm. you know, summary, uh, summations of those things might be helpful to kind of get a, a clearer 
uh, picture of what the scripture might say that might be a little bit more like in the King James Version uh, sometimes people might struggle with the language that's used mm-hmm. um, and so in those instances I think um, different versions can kind of help to uh, bring to light what is trying to be conveyed but mm-hmm. really if you're trying to get down to the nuts and bolts of like doctrinal things mm-hmm. you really cannot rely on those oh yeah, um, yeah. well you can't even rely on the King James Version you, you need the Hebrew and Greek exactly yeah. um, um, the King <laughs> a lot of people don't understand this but the King James Version is not the inspired word of God it's the translated <laughs> word of God it's, what, what it's is it they say is like if, if the King James King was good James enough for only. Peter yeah good enough for me because <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. the joke is you know the King James version was made way after uh, by King James hence the name King James version yeah. Um, but yeah you you have to have the Hebrew and Greek if you want to really get to the get to the bottom mm-hmm. uh, get to the source um, yeah some other interesting Facts. So I was wrong. I said 1600s or 1800s earlier. Uh, it was not until 1965 that the Pope finally understood 1 Corinthians 14 and 19 and allowed masses to conduct uh, their their services in the same vernacular language of the local people. It was Latin until then. Um, hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm sure you guys, I think, Josh, I've heard you speak about this before, but the birthday of Jesus, Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it's a neat conversation. Yeah. So Christ plus mass Christmas was first used in 1038 AD. Before that, in 335 AD, the pagan cult of Mithra, the Iranian god of light, had long celebrated December 25th as Mithra's birthday. Um, and then the 21st being the winter solace, marking the beginning of days and increasing the amount of light. Hence, December 25th celebrated Mithra's triumph over darkness. Um, apparently, this was adopted by the, the church at large to develop the, the day mm-hmm. Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? So, I, this one I have a note because... Um, I actually looked this up myself because I was like, oh, there's no way this is true. This is someone who's like all just stirring up trouble. But I visited a multiple um, Catholic websites. Um, I can't remember their main site. It's like the bishops, bishopsomething.org or catholics.org. But I looked up their commandments, Ten Commandments, right? And... uh, Hmm. It says, uh, you'll notice that the commandment referring to uh, any engraven image, uh, worshiping engraven images, um, is not there. So instead, they split one of their last commandments. Uh, so the last three commandments say, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not covet your neighbor's goods. So I believe that originally it states that you're not supposed to covet uh, your neighbor and really everything belongs to your neighbor uh, but in the Catholic Bible their translated version it specifically states uh, you know not to covet your neighbor's wife and not to covet your neighbor's goods they split the last one into two um, taking out any reference to engraven images um, 
Now, I believe, so I saw that that was on their website, and I, I don't think I, I recall, I don't recall looking into a, a Catholic Bible regarding that. I just went off of uh, the st the, what I saw on their websites. Um, let me see here. I will say that uh, I recall the argument being that, uh, well, that is not what they meant. <laughs> That's not what. So that they interpret it as okay, no, the whole coveting your your neighbor thing. That's actually two commandments. That's what they interpret. And they say, well, the one regarding engraving the image is not really a commandment because otherwise they would not have uh, made cherubim for the ark. Um, and so, so the cre yeah, so that, w that was an actual defense uh, that I read. Um, uh, it was like a, a blog, a Catholic blog or whatever, and it's where you could ask questions. And they were like, well, like, well they made... Uh, you know, uh, sculptures, uh, angels, uh, cherubim, for for the um, for the ark. So they were like, you know, well, wait a minute, uh, they're not supposed to do that. And I was like, so my my initial thought is like, uh -huh. God told them directly, like, hey, I mean, so and also the cherubims were not God. <laughs> they were not God. Yeah, they didn't worship them as gods. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So is it that the conflict is the reason why that can't be included in the Ten Commandments for them is because of their use of, like, relics and, like, exactly. um, that the was imagery they use? So their rebuttal to it was that, hey, since they used relics imagery, they, they you know, created the, the cherubim, which were actually, I believe, shown in a way to show that the cherubim worship God, but... Anyhow, they were pointed towards it, the ark. Yeah, exactly. They, so uh, the wings covered their face because mm -hmm. <laughs> not worthy, right? Right. So, yeah, that's that was the rebuttal on that. Um, it's flimsy, obviously. Um, yeah. Well, it just seems like they're trying to, like, uh, use the word to serve their their end goal. Yeah. Or their purposes. Well, there are a lot of sculptures in the Roman Catholic Church. In fact, most of the churches, especially the earlier churches, the uh, cathedrals, um, uh, many of them had of an obelisk uh, in front. Uh, that obelisk actually, um, it, it's an ancient uh, representation that um, reflects some belief in a sun god. Um, what, what do you mean when you say obelisk? Obelisk, a pointy like so something that looks like the Washington Monument. Sort of, yes, okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so there, there were a large number of them that that had that. Um, There's like the the Council of Nicaea, right? Was it 356 <laughs> AD? Something. So the Council of Nicaea, right? Emperor Constantine is uh, he's um, he's kind of explaining hey we need to make things better for the christians right um uh really it was a political ploy uh, because there were a number of individuals who uh were in some position of power around him who had uh varying beliefs or were believing in this um the sun god and um and then there were some that were kind of you know uh, dabbling with the christianity and then the christian people were so 
there were so many it was it was uh, becoming widespread and I think what he did was um, he said he basically the council was the start of like a unification sort of a consolidation of beliefs um, and he he called this consolidation of uh, beliefs you know the the Roman Catholic Church the the Christians right these are all the Christians this is Roman Catholic Church and he consolidated all these different ideas that these individuals had and the, all these deviations from actual scripture and um, and then as you know Rome was uh, a type of society that when they conquered they also took on uh, new gods and you know it was a very um, uh, multi, what is the word multi-deity uh, structure they believe in and so um, the result being that he gave all these incentives to join the Roman Catholic Church I think that Christians were exempt from I think certain taxes are even being called to war um, so he gave all these exemptions and it made it really it made it really like nice um, I read the uh, uh, it's been a while but I read the actual like uh, document like uh, you know his addressal to everyone mm -hmm. um, the Council of Nicaea and I believe he starts it off with uh, uh, praise the Sun or something like that and he, he starts <laughs> off with praise the Sun um, and uh, <laughs> but how do you know he's not talking about s o n s u n praise the Sun s u n El Sol. it was it was it's in the document like that way and it, it's ironic because you know now we have like Sunday but Anyway, <laughs> so, uh, but so we're it, inadvertently yeah, worshiping. It, ah, on. Oh no, <laughs> no, but, uh, anyway, this whole, this religion related to the sun, uh, has a lot, um, in common with a lot of the things that they do and believe about Mary. Um, I believe the God, it was a woman, uh, a mother giving, uh, she was virgin birth and that sort of thing as well. There was a lot of parallels, um, yeah, but ultimately, all the sculptures and stuff like that, the issue really comes down to uh, them p magnifying individuals, um, praying to these individuals. You know, they call these individuals saints, saint of this or saint of that, and instead of going to God for this particular thing or that, they go to this particular saint or this sculpture. I mean, there's like... Uh, there's sculptures of these people that where the the feet are rubbed down to nubs because they come and they pray and they kiss uh, or rub the foot and um, yeah yeah I I remember studying out um, for a brief period of like uh, I found it really fascinating the um, um, Catholic structures and buildings right throughout mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. basically these temples that built throughout the ages and um, one of the things that they utilized uh, to draw people to come to do pilgrimages to um, their particular um, church would be um, the artifacts. Mm -hmm. They would have, um, you know, they, people would claim they had, like, you know, the Shroud of Jesus. Um, the Shroud of Turin, it's called. The Shroud of Turin, right. The one Turin? that... <laughs> yeah, uh, Turin? The, the one that has, like, an imprint of a body, face. of a bloody body. No, oh. the whole body. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they actually, yeah. and, like, scientists yeah. have, like, tried to. Well, the arms are too long. Yeah. 
That's at the Vatican, right? Is that what you're referring to? I, or uh, the I, th- I don't think it's at the Vatican. I think it's somewhere else. Okay. I'm hmm. not sure. I don't but the, the whole point was that um, they used this to draw people. Hmm. Um, that was like the intent to, to, to draw their patronage. It was their version of modernizing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so like the people were making vast we, claims. We've got to change our ways so we can get people in the door. Let's, yeah. uh, let's appeal to them. Yeah. Mm. So we'll have like you know one church will claim to have like a sh- a shard of the the cross, yeah, or, uh, or they'll have like pieces of the crown of thorns. Mm-hmm. I mean that was a thing. Uh, the uh, what the French king decided he was gonna give uh, give out pieces of the crown of thorns mm-hmm. to uh, areas that uh, help him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, interesting. So when you look at it from you know. Um, from modern day looking back it's almost kind of you can see the motivation um, as to what they were trying to accomplish and not so much like a spiritual thing but they were really mm-hmm. just trying to draw people to fund their um, the works that they were doing because mm-hmm. um, otherwise you'd have these um, churches that were just built in like you know what is it called not parsonage but like what do you um, when you um, belong to a Catholic church, you're not like a, a patron to the church, or oh. what's the terminology I'm looking for? So yeah, you're like you're a member, a a a. Um, um. Yeah, I I realize what you're. I can't uh, think of the I word. Can't think of the term. Uh, can anybody out there think of the word yeah. we're looking for? <laughs> yeah. Um, a member of the yeah, church. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, okay. essentially, that's that's what I'm getting at. Um, mm. You know, they they try to draw that membership mm-hmm. with these claims. You know, yep. so so um, and I might have missed it in the beginning, but What's like, up? why did you go over all this stuff? Oh, uh, were, were you trying to kind of well, teach like somebody who is a Catholic? Yeah, and, uh, and and sort of do an apologetic study and kind of figure out where they're coming from. So. So for one, I wanted to uh, a know where these individuals were coming from. Um, I looked at four or five different uh, denominations, and then atheism—not really a denomination, but a perspective on uh, God as a whole and religion as a whole—and mm-hmm. uh, kind of examine where they were coming from, and then uh, find the probably I suppose I felt like what, what would be a more effective means or approach. Uh, mm-hmm. to uh, their belief um, now I do had I, I did have some family members who uh, considered themselves a Catholic or had a catechism background um, and so I've, I had since had conversations and you know th- when it comes to studying the word um, I mean being in prayer and studying the word is essential but then having the conversation with a person mm-hmm. that lets you know what you know and what you don't know and I had been doing I've been doing a lot of studying yeah. and I was talking to a family member um, and she was like you know it said the the scripture says that a uh, righteous the prayer of a righteous man availeth much mm-hmm. well what's more righteous than an angel so why then can't you pray to, to to Mary or one of these angels up there and them and so then I explained well you know Jesus is the only is the one and only mediator uh, for these things and and then I said on se- and then secondly Satan Lucifer was an angel himself he was cast out of heaven 
And so being not a, all angels yeah, are righteous. Exactly. Yeah. Being an angel is not uh, a a immediate pass for hey, righteous, therefore uh, you know mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and a who you know also you're you're making the assumption, you know, uh, that angels pray and that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that when it says man that you can apply that to angels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had that entire conversation and I remember they were like, okay, uh, you've been studying a lot. And I'm like, well, yes, I have. And, and so, um, but that led to my family member getting baptized. So good. Um, so awesome. I was really, uh, excited about that. So, um, I think one problem that I've noticed with the apologetic approach is that you're kind of going into it, assuming what they believe but like sometimes people in these denominations have uh dissenting views of in their own denominations uh doctrine and so i i think sometimes it's better to kind of get a view of that individual's theology mm-hmm. and then and then you know explore those instead of going into it and like oh you're a certain denomination Mm -hmm. okay well i know you believe these things when that's not necessarily the case a lot of people kind of are kind of in the gray sometimes well like yeah i'm in this denomination but i actually don't agree with what they say about this right Mm -hmm. and so and i i don't want to go in assuming Mm -hmm. anything with Mm -hmm. a and going in with a preconceived notion of of uh the the things that will um, struggle with when I when I teach them. So I mean that's my opinion so on that. You are absolutely right. You don't want to come off as attacking them because that that's mm-hmm. how the apologetic repro- approach can definitely come off. Mm-hmm. Um, and while a lot of the things I refer, uh, referenced uh, today um, are in that realm, you mm-hmm. don't definitely don't approach them that way. God's going to give you the words and the sensitivity. Yes for that individual person. However, I wanted to study it and know all the holes. That way, if they came up, Mm -hmm. I can deal uh, with those things. And what I usually did was approach them and basically uh, get their perspective of the Word of God. And if they felt that, Mm -hmm. yes, the Word is good for reproof, correction, and for making making a man perfect, right? For Mm -hmm. doctrine, if they believe that there is no uh, fallacy in the word, Mm -hmm. and then I can sort of approach things piece by piece Mm -hmm. of what the word says and what it is they believe as as it comes up. And so with them making the concurring and saying, hey, yeah, you're right, the word is infallible. The word says what it says, and it means it. And then as they start seeing, well, wait a minute, that's not in the word. Actually, that completely contrary to the word. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like my family member was saying, hey, Mary, who should be more lifted up than, uh, aside from Jesus, lifted up than Mary? She birthed Jesus, God. And so that was like the argument, right? But Jesus himself. His disciples came mm-hmm. and they said, hey, outside is Mary and your brothers. He said, who is my mother? Who is my mother and my brothers? I tell you, the one who does the will of my father. And so I think a woman screams out in the crowd and says to, says to Jesus, Breast, uh, best, blessed, are, blessed is the woman at whom uh, uh, th- 
yeah, okay that that's a weird thing to say on here uh yeah, that Who that fed that you? that fed you as a baby. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so, um, that okay. uh, you you suckled or whatever. <laughs> okay. And then yeah, and then he said, and then he says no. He says, on the contrary, blessed is blessed is the one who does the will of my father. And mm. so, kind of right in those two instances, mm. listen, you know, yes, she gave birth to me, yes, um, but keep your focus on the will of my father. It's it's you mm-hmm. know that elevation there. So anyway, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I think apologetics for me, mm-hmm. the apologetics I really get into is the atheist one, mm. uh, because I guess for some reason I have more of a burden of like th- those intellectual academic types because mm-hmm. I was in college and I, I want to be able to talk to them about this stuff. Um, but I study apologetics for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. It, it it challenges. All right, here's another idea. Mm-hmm. All right, let's unpack this idea and like at face value. Oh, okay, that seems right. But okay, but let's investigate it. How does this hold up with the actual written word? All right, mm-hmm. um, and so it's a mental exercise. It's mentally doing bench presses and getting stronger. You know, and mm-hmm. and the weights being opposing ideas mm-hmm. um and so i do it for me and then like i kind of lean more towards um atheist because that's those are the people i've kind of been around mm-hmm. mostly yeah. um or sort of the agnostic types where mm-hmm. either they're just not sure at all or even the christian agnostics that aren't terribly sure that you need to be taking everything literally mm-hmm. or that everything did happen the way the Bible said it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, one guy called it, like, metaphorical Christian, where you're just applying concepts and principles, but, um, or, you know, living as if there is a God. You mm-hmm. know. I don't know. I, I haven't really been able to make sense of what they're saying yet. Yeah. Um, or, like, the, you know, I'm spiritual but not religious types. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... Like, uh, I enjoyed talking to those people because I... I tell them, I was like, well, you recognize that you being spiritual, like, well, what spirit are you mm-hmm. dealing with? I mean, that's a lot. There's a lot of spirits out there. Um, and so it's the quote unquote religion that narrows it down to one spirit that you're dealing with, yeah. which is hopefully the holy one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, like, you get this sense of people having sort of open borders spiritually where anything can come in, anything can go out. They're just super spiritual, Mm -hmm. right? But being spiritual is not the end-all, be-all of being right with God because spiritual means you're interacting with the spirit world, but there's a lot of things going on in the spirit world, Mm -hmm. right? And not all of them are godly, right? And so that's why you have the Bible, because the Bible sets borders. Yeah. Um, Andrew, do you have something to say? Oh, I haven't um, heard your voice in a while. <laughs> He's been talking a while. He's been. Oh, has he? Yeah. He, I'm on you, board with y'all. Oh. You've talked a lot. He's like nodding. He's like nodding. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's a stretch where I was quiet for a long time. <laughs> yeah. I surprised myself. I'm not <laughs> as strong in this subject, um, but I do appreciate uh, apologetics. Mm. 
And I think I agree with Josh that it's good to study that out for yourself and not necessarily um, so that you can counter people mm. or have arguments with. Because I think, mm-hmm. especially in the um, atheist and agnostic world, most of them have their minds settled. Yeah. They're not looking to be converted. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes it even twofold more difficult when they discount the Bible altogether. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, if all your argument comes from the Bible, mm-hmm. they already discredit yeah. it, you know. So you have to kind of think outside of that. And I you think a lot think of more th- philosophical, but that's yeah. sort of a that's that's a very thin line, right? Yeah. So well, that opens up to like spiritualism. You know. The most effective um, uh, approach that I have had for atheists was first off, most of the times it's because it's a personal hurt or because um, there's just that lack of belief that man, um, that God could inspire man and then man maintain uh, the veracity of uh, the the words given to them mm-hmm. over such a period of time, mm-hmm. um, but basically it's more of a belief in that man are so corrupt that you can't basically depend on it. But or I, I well, go ahead. Or they don't believe that the Bible is infallible. Like yeah. you know, looking at scientifically, historically, mm-hmm. there's some problematic stuff. And that's where I like to approach it uh, on a scientific level. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to bend, I'm not going to w- w- spin my wheels forever or anything like that, but I've had some good conversations with them and I've actually had individuals go and open up a Bible, um, just to see some things. But like, have you guys heard of Matthew Mari? So in the 1800s, Matthew Mari, an officer in the United States Navy believed his Bible, right? So as a Christian, he loved to read the Bible. One day, Mari was reading about the dominion man was given over the animals. So in Psalm 8, verse 8, he was amazed to read uh, that the fish and all the creatures of the sea that swim in the paths of the sea. So Mari investigated the paths of the sea, believed that there was some sort of paths in the sea that were to be found. And he is the individual who discovered the oceanic currents. Hmm. Um, There's also uh, the stars, right? The Word of God refers to the stars as um, uh, not being numbered, beyond number. I wish I could find the exact... Well, I mean, he talks about with Abraham and and stuff like that. Yeah, so it basically says that uh, the stars of the sky are... Um, n- like the sand of the seashore, yes. which coincidentally are roughly, I think, 10 to the 22nd. It's like a billion, billion, trillion, something like that. Um, uh, so, you know, the estimate w- is roughly the same as far as in modern days, as far as stars and, and uh, sand. And what's interesting is um, when that uh, particular scripture was written, um, hundreds, 700 years or so uh, later, um, th- the common belief were th- was that there was like either a thousand or ten thousand scar- stars in the sky. Um, that they could be numbered. Yes, that they could be numbered. And so th- it was an it was a belief for a long time that there were a thousand. Then it was like twelve hundred ish, and then there was like ten thousand. And now we're to the point, you know, ten to the twenty second uh, power. Uh, 
we we believe that's an estimate and um and so that was well ahead of its time and then uh the bottom of the ocean right um it refers to uh the the bible refers to jonah right he's he's sinking into the sea and he sw- he fall he goes between the mountains at the bottom of the o- uh, bottom of the sea well um we there at that time there was no way to determine that sort of terrain at the bottom of the sea and oceanography hasn't really struck up until the 19th century um so until modern times, people thought the ocean floor was sandy like the desert and saucer-shaped. Um, this was even true in in pre-1900 ge- uh, with pre-1900 geologists. But in the 1900s, oceanographers found the sea had many deep valleys or canyons. I believe it. I I've re- I said it mountains. He swallowed up by the mountains, but I believe it says he slipped into a, like a valley at the bottom of the sea. Um, the deepest canyons were called trenches, Mariana Trench, right? Mm-hmm. These are discoveries yeah. only lately. Um, so, again, yeah. let me play devil's advocate here. What's that? That's cool about the Mariana Trenches and stuff like that, yeah. but we're also dealing with a man who is living inside of a fish. Okay. So, like, I mean, if if that was me and I'm a skeptic and you're telling me that's – I'm stuck on that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Gotcha. Well, can a man live in the belly of a fish? I don't know that. I mean, I mean, the fish has to be pretty big. Uh, okay. I mean, there's got to be oxygen. There's got to be water. I mean, it would be just seawater. There's got to there's so, be some sort of fresh water. I so, mean, how many days was Jonah in the whale? It, was it wasn't that long, right? I'm not sure exactly how many days, but three. how how does a how does the yeah it was three now it's all right well then he could he doesn't need food and water okay so that how does the cavern like cavernous like the insides of a well work I know wells go up for oxygen once every however many days uh-huh. or whatever it is and when they blow out of their blowhole or whatever uh-huh. I mean what what is happening there, there are they I, I think the digestive tract probably connect to some air source. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but keep going. I don't want to so like re- so, re- so regardless, I, I would expect that, you know, okay, God, the point of the things I am pointing out, right, is that um, some of the, many of the statements in the Bible, whether it be that the blood is the life of the body, right? Uh-huh. Uh, we know in modern days that we study blood to see what's wrong, but even up until, I mean, George Washington, he was, he was ble- leached. He was leached. He was bled to death over a sickness. It was believed uh, even up to that point that uh, by doctors that um, uh, contaminants or, or, or um, bad stuff in the air got into the bloodstream and you needed to bleed it, bleed yourself to get the bad stuff out, right? Mm-hmm. Well, even back then, the blood is referred to as, you know, the lifeblood. It is the the... Uh, life of the body, and we're finding out all these things the about red it. humor. That's what they called it back in the day, back in the Galen days. I don't think there's anything funny about that. <laughs> what? No, I was red humor. I was like, okay. <laughs> all right. No, there's the four humors, and that's what a lot of people believed until actually, sh- shockingly recently, like maybe 19th century. Yeah. But, hmm, wow. uh, 
there's there's the lepers putting lepers outside the the mm-hmm. city uh, quarantining they did that back then mm-hmm. uh, germs touching dead bodies you will be unclean for seven days you will w- wash yourself purifying water um, and then we know that up until uh, mm-hmm. you actually probably know the story better than I but there was a doctor who uh, the, the mortality rate for women was about 18% and it was because the doctors were uh, working with uh, corpses uh, and oh, then yeah. they were and going, going to the next room and delivering babies and then one guy decided you know what let me wash my hands mm-hmm. <laughs> and it went from 18 to yeah. 3% now that was only uh, exactly when I don't know last yeah. couple hundred years uh, but you see that in the word of God, it, it was a, an established thing, you know, uh, separating yourself and purifying yourself. Um, that's yeah. very interesting too. So, like the yeah. fact that they didn't eat shellfish or pork. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's it? What, I mean, shellfish is a common food allergy. Mm-hmm. Um, pork is, I mean, back then, I mean, you didn't, couldn't process anything mm-hmm. probably there's probably a lot of contaminants especially the pigs were eating you know mm-hmm. nasty stuff mm-hmm. yeah um or they were host for demons <laughs> <laughs> yeah I wonder, you, I wonder you ever thought about that pig farmer yeah it's like yeah. what why the heck I, yeah. jesus yeah. why is <laughs> this guy who takes all of my pigs yeah. he, he just goes outside That's gets ready to feed bacon. Yeah, yeah he gets ready to feed his pigs and then he sees his whole uh, his entire like lifeblood, yeah, like the thing that makes him money. His you know what livelihood. Do you call, do you call mm. a group of pigs a herd or like a flock? What is that called? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But you, you see pigs. your livelihood fall off a cliff. <laughs> wow! And you're just like, well, I guess I'm not a pig farmer anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You just go down and uh, grab the bits uh, left over and try to make, make do with that. <laughs> make some bacon. Yeah. That's old folks. <laughs> mm, man. But yeah, that that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Good stuff. Good stuff. So yeah. that's that's sort of the things I brought today. It was just uh, interesting things. Um, I couldn't. I did have a document somewhere that was really neat. It was like a hundred scientific facts. Uh, that the Bible, uh, you know, coincided with. Um, also got some stuff referring to prophecies, uh, you know, for instance, the fall of Tyre. Um, uh, I think mm-hmm. it was Ezekiel that spoke about the fall of Tyre, which mm-hmm. was a very uh, formidable city. Um, mm-hmm. It had an island of its own that basically they would fall back to, right? And I think Ezekiel stated that uh, that... Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylon- Babylonians, would attack the city, uh, and then he goes from that to say that the city would, the earth itself would be scraped clean, that the soil, the uh, rock, and if I recall, the, the even the trees, I think, uh, would be cast into the sea, right? Well, the, the Nebuchadnezzar did attack the city. He sieged the city. The citizens of the city fell back to the island for safety. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he, he conquered the mainland city but could not uh, touch the island, right? Um, later, uh, much later, I think it was uh, a couple hundred years at least, um, apologize, I don't have like the exact dates right off the top of my head, uh, but Alexander the Great, right? Wow. So it might, be, it might have been way later. Uh, but when Alexander the Great sieged the city, 
uh, he wasn't happy with just uh, uh, conquering the mainland city. You see, the, ever, the, the, the population pulled back to the island city. And so what he did was he had his army essentially scrape the ground and they pulled up the stone, the soil, the trees, and they made a causeway across from mainland to the island to siege the island. Um, so, you know, there's a prophecy right there. Ezekiel uh, hmm. um, had stated and it came true much later. Um, I mean, there's hmm. lots of those in the Bible. It's just really cool stuff. Uh, you know, how often it, it's not, pr it's proven, it's, it's accurate, it's true. So, it's cool. Yeah. One of the things, the way I view the Bible, and I guess, so these are a lot of new things I, I've learned. So thank you for <laughs> illuminating yeah, man. my mind. This is, a, this is much definitely a learning episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but the way I see the, the Bible is um, we often, uh, a, a lot of people, especially apologists, want to see the Bible as like a de definitive textbook mm -hmm. to counter every argument made against it. Mm -hmm. um, but what it really is, it's, I mean, it's a collection of 66 books right written from various authors different time periods and they all s remain consistent in the message there's no um not conflict but they n there's nothing that counteracts one another it's all cohesive mm -hmm. um but it being not being a science textbook it's um interesting to note that it never counters scientific law as you you had mm -hmm. uh, shown us and demonstrate that even when uh, history was wrong about how science was, the Bible never contradicted mm -hmm. how science operates, and it never contradicts like the archaeological record of like it never created um, fantasy cities mm -hmm. or non-existent cities. Like they all existed, and there's other historical records. So it may not be all these transition song, uh -huh. transition song, transition song. Okay, we're recording. All right, well, um, <laughs> so what happened was, <laughs> is we finally reached capacity on Andrew's uh, computer, like storage. <laughs> Or something. I can you, can the tech guy explain this, please? Because I can't. Yeah, we just exceeded our storage here. So while we were recording, <laughs> we just it just stopped because it had no more space to write. So he used a really big word. Yeah. <laughs> the last word was really big. Yeah. Big words. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and those big words were uh, too much for the uh, hard drive to Could handle. Could it fit? Yeah. Uh, so I think we've officially like we've talked too much for the computer <laughs> it's like where you want to put all this dude all right anyways anyways uh so do you think you can complete the thought that you were talking about was that the last one talking yeah. yes you're you're talking about um how uh um what were you talking about no, you oh yeah mentioning textbooks yeah yeah. Yes. yeah yeah how you treat the bible okay yes. yeah because i think everybody would prefer or, you know, whenever they try to argue 
apologetics. They want the Bible to be uh, like a robust textbook, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not its intent. We have to recognize that the Bible's intent was not to be this end all to every argument, but mm-hmm. it was intended to um, preach a message of salvation mm-hmm. and restoring relationship with man and God. So um, whenever we come to topics of science and history mm-hmm. where people try to find contradictions and counter it, um, we have to first recognize that the Bible wasn't designed to counter arguments, but then two, when it, it does come in contact with scientific fact and historical record, they don't, it doesn't ever contradict, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so we can rest safely in knowing that the, mm-hmm. the Bible is, is true, um, is divinely mm-hmm. inspired, yeah. um, you know, because that would definitely pose some issues if, you know, the Bible did mm-hmm. make an assertion that contradicts something we know today, mm-hmm. and we know that's not, not to yeah. be the case. So, and so that was the only point I wanted to To kind of piggyback off your point, um, I use Second Timothy 3.16 as my what I use my Bible for kind of thing, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All right, that's what it is and is profitable for doctrine, okay? Use it for doctrine. I use it for reproof, which means conviction and evidence or a proof that by which a thing is proved or tested, conviction. Okay, I use it for conviction, for correction, all right, which means straightening up that's that's an interesting definition um for instruction in righteousness and so that's an interesting phrase instruction in righteousness if you are going to use the bible as a textbook it should be for righteousness Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not on how to uh you know uh not on although this guy although uh mr mari uh, the ancestor of uh, the guy who uh, determines who the father is. Um, y'all didn't catch that. <laughs> but yeah, you got it. Okay. But the guy, but the guy who made the currents. I mean, that's not what the Bible was for. Um, uh, that's. I just don't. I don't get that from scripture. Yeah. Um, it's just. I, it's just so interesting, though. It is what interesting. I, what I love. Yeah is um so like there's this whole narrative about like um we have to shield people from like um evolution and the arguments present there Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and like so anything that even alludes to evolution like nature programming Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like anything remotely science like we have this weird um connotation against you know traditional bible belt christians Mm -hmm. that like we have an opposition to science so mm-hmm. the argument is always framed as Christians are anti-science mm-hmm. and then science is like on the side of logic. Mm-hmm. And it's like the Bible agrees with science and like Christians believe in science. We employ things that utilize, mm-hmm. um, you know, physiological laws, mm-hmm. you know, like we recognize what, you know, when we flip the switch, not some magical thing happening. Mm-hmm. It's like the properties of electricity is what mm-hmm. does that. So I, I kind of like, dislike that Mm -hmm. um, framing and and I think we just need to recognize as Christians that you know when it comes to science that God is the author of science Mm -hmm. and that what science really is is the exploration or the investigation of Mm -hmm. how God's law operates yeah when he spoke Mm -hmm. in creation um, 
And so that's why I always I stress with the kids, you know, like not to be afraid of science, but mm-hmm. to recognize that God authored it. And so when you see like, when you talked about the Marinera, uh, Marinera trench. Marinera, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd wanna, like to visit I, that trench. Uh, yeah, There's <laughs> a spaghetti squid. Yeah, yeah, and some man. mozzarella sticks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when you, when you think of things like that, when it was previously unrecognized by uh, scientists in history, like, I find that so fascinating that because God spoke that before we were even aware of its existence. Mm-hmm. So, like, all these animals that we're discovering in the deepest parts of the oceans, like, God spoke that before centuries of humans were even aware of its existence, mm-hmm. much less could even study it. That's how vastly powerful and creative and intelligent our God is. Yeah. And, not, and that's not an argument against, well, well, did God account for, you know, the anglerfish and mm-hmm. the coelacanth? And it's like, he did. Yeah. We are just now discovering it. Yeah. But he spoke that at the beginning of creation. So I think it's a beautiful thing to mm-hmm. study those things out um, but then recognizing that it's not an argument against Christianity, but it's an argument for mm-hmm. the awesomeness of God. I, I absolutely concur. And, you know, science, it's um, you're you're, li- you're right. It, it's not the enemy. So with science, what needs to be of concern and what needs to be watched carefully and uh, you know, don't let it derail you is theories. Yes, because uh, there is a uh, much of science is a system of theories developed by individuals and mm-hmm. some of those theories uh, evolution has a lot of smoke and mirrors to it it, it really it, you know it's in a, it's some it makes some assumptions and then uh, and then it, it results in a theory a speculation that can't exactly mm-hmm. be verified they're they'll use some i i think it's so funny when they're like oh we found the missing link right they found like a skeleton and it's got a oddly shaped head and and so they're like this is this could be the missing link because it has a lot oddly shaped head well there are birth defects that result in a e, an elongated skull that could actually be what they're looking at like there are cases today of children with misshapen skulls and then they're using a case of hey we found the skeleton it's a misshapen skull and this could be the missing link between ape and man and I, I just think that is so funny, um, yeah. and being able to identify the very the the science the the correlation between the Bible and science is so cool. Uh, like I you know dinosaurs are so crazy to think about, right? And people are like, well, did Adam and Eve ride dinosaurs, right? <laughs> well, uh, well, the Word of God, um, I believe it's when the Lord is speaking to. I think it's in Job. Uh, but it, it ref- God refers to the behemoth, mm-hmm. and He says, "You know, the behemoth, uh, its head can pierce snares, its tail, it, its thigh bones are—I um, forgot the exact term—but they're they are massive, right? Incredibly strong uh, thigh bones, and its tree, its its uh, tail is like a cedar tree. A cedar tree is is, is pretty big. That's a pretty big tail." Uh, when you take the the those uh, the explanations, it gives more details about the behemoth. Yeah. But when it when you take all of those uh, details and kind of put them together, w- the picture you kind of get is something akin to like a brontosaurus, a long neck, its head can even pierce mm-hmm. snares, its tail is like a cedar tree. Um, it's uh, I, I don't recall if whether the behemoth shakes the earth, 
but it's huge right and it's and then the lord states you know who created the behemoth and who brought who could bring a sword to him in other words uh referring to the extinction of said mm -hmm. creature mm. so while he was able to create he also uh was someone of such power that he could bring extinction to even even such a you know gigantic and enormous and powerful uh creation and so really cool things and as far as the apologetic uh uh conversation pursuit of knowledge and knowing more about the word and knowing the, these correlations and all this cool stuff it's cool it's great but you're not you should not stop at a pursuit of um knowledge we're supposed to add knowledge as bishop's been teaching lately mm -hmm. but if your goal is to pursue this knowledge in order to um uh attack people or whatever the case uh that's you know the apologetics videos and stuff you see today they are very divisive divi uh, divisive they cause division really mm -hmm. um attack people cause division um we really should be uh it's cool stuff to know it's cool to to you know uh build up your faith and to, you know um to, to build yourself up as well um but I you need to approach uh really every conversation um uh uh, prayerfully and, and sensitively. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to quote a scripture here uh, that came to mind. First uh, Peter three fifteen says, "But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you." Mm. That is a large reason as to uh, my diving into a lot of this uh, stuff. So, yeah. No, and I think that's in, uh, that that's so great. I think. Um, we need more of that, um, and I think it, it, it is uh, telling of you know your personal relationship with God, mm -hmm. um, because there's a hunger to want to know more mm -hmm. and to be sure of your faith. Um, so I think that's a strong trait in people whenever they are not um, satisfied mm -hmm. at a certain level, but they're always hungry to to learn more, mm -hmm. to investigate more, and it's a, it takes a, a confidence in the Word of God to test those boundaries, you know, because um, there's a lot of other denominations or groups that would probably shy away and try to discourage you from mm -hmm. investigating those boundaries. But ultimately, what I believe is that y as you research and study it out, it always mm -hmm. leads you back to God. Yeah. I, um, it makes us, it makes us who we are. It really does. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you guys heard what I'm going through, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I'm going to make it real brief, right? Uh, but yeah, you don't have to go into detail, man. No, I, I want to, because this is a, this is, this is an awesome opportunity that, that, you know, Taryn and I are dealing with. It really is. Um, she's prayed. Yeah. So she's prayed before that. Hey, uh, I believe it was brother Barlow who preached one time and said something about, um, you know, if no one got sick, then there would never be miracles or, or you know, any of that. Uh, you know, where would we get our faith or, you know, mm -hmm. proof that God is a miracle worker and prayer answering God? Um, so she has said before and prayed before, you know, hey, if God, if I need to be sick, you know, so that I can be that example, I'm willing to. Mm -hmm. um, granted, it's a little harder. You know, it's not exactly her. It's it's the baby. 
but uh, the doctor had told us, hey, the brain is not developing correctly. And so we were monitoring that, and the doctor wanted to do some screening. And I, you know what? Uh, this came to mind halfway through this, and I was like, you know what? I, w I would like to say it now because I would like it like documented. You know, I want, I want you know, this proof. So they said that uh, they did some screening, mm -hmm. and they said the, the abnormal brain combined with the um, placenta having all these cysts in it, combined with the size of the baby, combined with the screening, I believe it's called a panorama uh, type of screening they did, your daughter has triploidy. Triploidy affects 1% of pregnancies, roughly. And out of every 10,000 cases of triploidy, only 20 make it into the second term. Hmm. All the rest are miscarriages in the first term. And then out of those ten th uh, 20 cases, only one makes it to full term. And then that one only lasts a few days or a few weeks. Um, yeah. So that is what they told us. And looking back, so first off, I'm not going to say, you know, Taryn and I are not superhuman. Not at all. Um, uh, there are emotions. There's heartbreak. You know, just kind of, you know, dealing with it and processing it. Um, however, we have done a lot of prayer. We have uh, heard the stories. God has sent so many people explaining their uh, their stories. We heard one today. It was like they said, look, simply put, our child was told, we were told that the child had Edwards syndrome and that the child basically it was a hundred percent that the child would be stillborn and that there were cysts on the brain through prayer and fasting and the result a perfectly fine child and we've we've gotten many of those sort of stories to lift us up right mm -hmm. but it's it's a study of the word and it's a life of desiring the will of God and praying that gives us a different perspective you see, the enemy is showing us one thing after another, one thing after another, um, all the giants and all the walls between us and uh, this healing. But God has just been pouring out understanding, and he's like, he's given us a certain understanding that we know that we can trust him because he can do it. It's within his ability because, frankly, impossible is not something for God. Mm -hmm. um, possible is our limit of what we think that God can do. In fact, when we got a promise or we got a healing we need, sometimes we drop that promise or put it away because it's like, oh, wait a minute. We got past this point or so much time has passed mm -hmm. or now it's irreversible. It just got harder for men but easier for God. And so it's within his ability and then it his will for my life. I've been studying up on God's will. God is not up there laughing, giggling with delight that we're suffering. He's not. That is not who he is. He's a good father. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, For the, I know the thoughts that I have toward you, says the Lord, mm -hmm. thoughts yeah. of peace and not of evil, and of a hope and a future. Uh, to give you a hope and a future. So that is the kind of God that I serve. So when I think of his will, his will is only good for me, 
but if a he doesn't do this it is not because it was his desire not to do it but because there is a greater purpose mm -hmm. i don't know what i'm going to face tomorrow yeah. or next year he knows all the needs that I have. He knows my heart. He knows the future. And so I don't know the strength of character that will be required of me tomorrow to make it to the kingdom of heaven. And so if he doesn't do it, we have complete and utter faith that there is a good reason. It's not because he lacks the ability. It's not because of so there's something wrong with his character. And it's not because his word is not true. I can depend on all those things and I can rest assuredly on all those things and so right now we're praying and we are we are believing and stating emphatically that it is his will desire to heal hope and that he will heal hope um i'm, I'm super excited because there is no way out of this because the first thing that happens when a problem or a storm blows our way or we're at the edge and we're like considering the promise ahead of us, mm -hmm. it, it makes me think of Moses. Hey, let's sp send some spies in and go ahead and take a look. Let, let's see what's ahead of us. Let's, let's check it out. Uh, were there any walls? What was it like? What were their defenses? What is the What is ahead of us? So, I mean, hey, naturally what we did, we started looking up triploidy. And the natural man wants to look up and say, well, what are the chances that this is okay on its own? We're looking for a glimmer of hope, a, a piece of evidence to, to, to say, hey, you know what? There is a bit of wiggle room for God to do something. But I, you know, I come to prayer, uh, in prayer and stuff, I come to figure out, hey, you know what? That thought process kind of undermines my faith, right? Mm -hmm. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, mm. the evidence of things not seen. So why do I immediately go out and dig for evidence to try and explain how it is God's going to do what he's going to do? I am glad that there is no other way and that the doctors are so sure about this because that's just going to make the testimony and the wonderful uh working of god all that much greater and you know what he's doing god's doing stuff everywhere taryn's got a cousin who got hit in the head and um he had i think two children and one child on the way so a wife two children and she was pregnant and uh, he was hit in the head they told him in the, they told uh his family in the hospital say goodbye to him he's not going to make it through the night Pr uh, prayer 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 i think uh yesterday um he went home um he fully wow. he um wow. uh, when i say hit in the head it was hit in the head like with some um, i think a massive pipe we're talking like offshore type stuff and 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 yeah there it didn't seem like it was he was gonna make it and he he went home they lined his driveway um he's walking they said he would first they said he was gonna die then it was like oh he's not gonna walk and talk and it just on and on and you know it, i think it, it's incredible what's god what god is doing his mom was healed of cancer uh two years ago she's been in remission since prayer mm -hmm. um god is doing things and i believe just as the tongue and the interpretation said today he's pouring out his glory and um he's ready to we are in the last days he's ready to fill the world with his glory and um 
you know, it's 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 go it's this is the evidence of people who love God, who have a relationship with God, who are um, sure of that, and and you know they're standing on that rock. Um, I think it's a testimony either way it it goes. Either God does something miraculous, and that cannot be argued, or um, God. We don't know yet, but he has a greater purpose and he's doing something that we can scarcely, you know, assess the magnitude of. And when he does it, um, you know, is gonna, whether it's revival or whatever the case is, uh, he's going to do something. And what the testimony is going to be, our perspective, our ability to cope and, and, and to be able to, to um, deal with the storm is going to be supernatural. Um, because the peace of God. Did we just run out of more? No, 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 we're no, good. no, no, keep going. Um, and the last statement uh, I'm going to make is I've had people saying, you know, when you emphatically say that it's the will of God to, you know, heal, heal your child or to do something miraculous or impossible, um, caring people like to say stuff like, you know, you know, be careful, you know, you they're worried about you being in denial or even a state of delusion. Um, especially, you know, you, I've been talking about it at work and they're kind of like, I can see them nodding their head and they're like, Oh yeah. You know, there's a look of concern on their face because they know the situation, but I know that they don't really believe in God. And so they're just kind of like, yeah, God's going to heal, heal this impossible situation. Well, it, that is, I could let that bring me down. I could let that affect me. However, this statement recently came to my mind. I wrote it down. Um, but I refuse to concede to a world where unwavering faith in God's ability, His Word, and His character is considered delusional. Plainly, my reality as a Christian is completely different than the reality of the world. So, uh, I they say be realistic. I am being realistic. I live, I obviously live in a different world, so. Well. Anyway. I, I have nothing to say to that, man. Um, yeah. uh, we are praying, man. Thank you. Behind you and your family. Thank you. And and hey, uh, guys, everyone out there, thank you very much for praying. We thank you for all the support. We thank you for, um, I mean, the faith building stories. Um, I don't know how many times I've heard of uh, reports that were just uh, regarding children and, and pregnancy that were just uh, awful and um, and. Uh, God completely intervened, and I know other people are going through things, and um, I say all this, I, I'm not perfect. Um, I don't think anyone's perfect. All we can do is pursue um, perfection, pursue righteousness, you know, uh, pursue God. Um, and in the eyes of God, I mean, nothing is irreversible whether it's how I think our, our walk or uh, the storm we're in and um, just everyone stay strong and
trust God. Yes, sir. And we are we are believing with you, Thank brother. You. And Thank I you. invite all of our listeners hearing this story that um, to pray along with us uh, as a family mm-hmm. for uh, baby Hope. Thank um, you. And we are believing with you. Um, and so beautifully said. Um, and, you know, I know this will be first for some of us listening, um, hearing this story, but I hope that you're you're moved by this and that, you know, this would be something that we can look back on and as a, as a building to our faith. So I invite everyone to to pray along with us mm-hmm. for the situation. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. absolutely. Thank you. Um, I guess this is a good place to end it, man. Um, okay. Thanks for thanks for coming. Thanks for being a part. Yes, thank you for having me. I kept my ginger jokes to a minimum. <laughs> yes, uh, I am very proud. I even spared everyone out there my uh, conductor joke. It's It takes five to ten minutes, so you probably would have listened and at the end of it turned off the podcast. So you're welcome. Uh, and thank <laughs> well, you. Now everyone's <laughs> curious. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's uh, curious. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew, Josh, for uh, inviting me. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, uh, let me know if you want me back. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure, man. Oh, man. Anyway, I learned okay. quite a bit on this on this one. So thank you so much. You definitely raised the bar, my friend. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe next time we could have like, we can maybe have something planned to talk about because we kind of did what we did today. Well, but you're uh, the yeah. one that brought stuff. You totally planned that. Well, I brought st- I brought the stuff because I was like, well, if we're sitting there like twiddling our thumbs, I, I can bring something out. Like something in here should be interesting. So. <laughs> Okay. It was all interesting, go. man. Yeah, I, right. I really enjoyed it. We probably need to have you back on just like each of the individual things that we talked about. <laughs> Those could e- each be their own episode. Yeah. So okay. Awesome. Cool. Very cool. I mean, excellent. Thank you for coming on the show again. Yes, sir. Thank you. God bless. All right. God bless. <laughs>